Thank you, Pastor Mark, for that prayer supplication. Let me just quickly go back and revisit something I spoke of earlier. Um, I hope that uh, you received this little card. It's a pray for 30 days. The North Carolina Baptist State Convention, in anticipation of what's going to be, a, I think, a phenomenal special event on November the 7th, Tuesday night at the Curry Convention Center. It'll be the last session of our annual meeting of the Baptists of North Carolina in Greensboro. And uh, we are dedicating that whole session, that whole evening session to prayer. It's called Broken Before the Throne. And it'll be a time for messengers, that's, that's you all, pastors, staff members from all over the state, from Manio to Murphy, to gather together there in that massive hall before God, broken in, in repentance before God, calling upon God and His power and His holiness, and, and seeking revival and spiritual awakening, which, ladies and gentlemen, I believe is the hope of our nation. It's the only hope of our nation. But anyway, in preparation of that phenomenal, great opportunity of prayer, the Baptist State Convention is asking church members, Christians all across the state, to be intensively in private prayer. And to help you with that, uh, Dr. Chris Gofield, who is over our Office of Prayer and Spiritual Awakening, has, has written a wonderful 30-day prayer guide that will guide you through the month of October, praying every day for specific things related to spiritual awakening and revival, personally, as a church, as a community. And that's available. We can get copies of this for those of you that would like a hard copy to have before you. If you're old-fashioned like me and you like to turn pages. And that's, that's, so we, we can do that. There's a sign-up sheet on the Hall of Opportunity bulletin board. And it's right under that big article talking about Broken Before the Throne. If you'll put your name on that uh, list, I'll be happy to order as many copies as we need for that. But for the younger at mine, the techno geeks, that I, I, I don't mean that offensively, those of you that are more technically advanced than I am, you'd rather have yours electronically transmitted. and they, You can do that. You just go to that uh, address uh, at the bottom of the card there, prayfor30days.org. Uh, and you can download this whole guide on your iPad, uh, iPhone, um, uh, eye of the needle, whatever. But uh, your computer, and you can have it there electronically to help you, to guide you in your devotion time. So just want you to be aware of that. It's a wonderful tool. Dr. Schofield has printed some beautiful, wonderful, inspiring prayer guides in the past. And I look forward to walking through that one together. So just want to make you, if you have any questions about that, be sure and get in touch with me. Now as I continue and bring the message this morning. We're continuing in a series I began several weeks ago talking about real Christianity and in the context of that initially we talked about the absolute essentiality of being able to present clearly the biblical gospel and not the version that unfortunately has been passed around by seeker friendly churches out there but the true biblical gospel you may recall and I'm not going to go back through that but it's important that you understand what the Bible says that the gospel message is. And I touched on all those points. And if you didn't get all those points, I still got my printed outline. And it's in my office and I'll make you a copy. But then we followed that up in talking about the importance of, of Christians coming before God and examining ourselves as the Apostle Paul said. To see if indeed you are in the faith. And looking at criteria that would determine whether or not you are a true believer. I'm, I'm so... Uh, aware of and concerned about the fact that there are many people who are, are calling themselves Christians, many on church roles, who are not indeed, when you look at the requirements based upon the teachings of God's Word and the teachings of Christ specifically, they're not true Christians. 
So examine ourselves, and we walk through some of the criteria with that. And again, I have that outlined in case you missed some of those points. Then last week we talked about the importance of re-examining ourselves as followers of Christ. It's not just good enough to, to, to wear the label of Christianity and call yourself a Christian when Christ is calling every true believer to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, to be a disciple. And we talked about those uh, commitments of the disciple, of a true disciple last week. We talked about how every disciple, according to the Word of God, we're called to deny ourselves. That's a given. We're called to deny ourselves. We're called to live sacrificially. When Jesus said, take up your cross daily. And then we're called to follow the Lord's lead daily. And so this morning, I want to continue as we explore what, is, what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? And we're going to be looking in John chapter 15, John chapter 8, as well as a, a number of other scripture references. And again, if you have trouble following along, and we have the outline, we'll have the outline up on the, um, on the screen there. But if there are scripture references you don't get, I'll have a copy of my outline that has most of the scripture references. I'll be happy to put that in your hands. But as we talk about discipleship, let's nail it down. I think one of the best definitions I came across was in the, the study called Master Life, Dr. Avery Willis. Uh, a godly man, uh, a servant of the Lord. He, he, he's pastored a number of churches here in the United States. He also served for 14 years on the, on the mission field in Indonesia. Him and his wife, he served as president of the Indonesian Baptist Theological Seminary there before being called back stateside to help out. Uh, he, while there in Indonesia, God worked in a mighty way and, and sparked a massive revival in that area. Many souls were come, came to Christ. Many Christians grew in their faith. It, it was a phenomenal experience, and it was because of his teaching this curriculum called Master Life. And, and basically, all that is about is helping people to understand, helping Christians to understand that when we make the decision to make Jesus, put Jesus at the center of our lives, he helps us to master life. And in that study, he offered this definition of discipleship. Christian discipleship is developing a personal, lifelong, obedient relationship with Jesus Christ in which he transforms your character into Christ-likeness. And he changes your values into kingdom values. And he involves you in his mission in the home, in the church, and out in the world. That's what it means to be a disciple. And that's, that's something that I'm afraid that so many Christians miss out on. And as I said, we talked about last week as we looked at Luke chapter 9, verse 23, when Jesus says, if any man comes after me, if, in other words, if you want to be one of my disciples, then he says, let him deny himself. Take up his cross daily and follow me. So those are the three commitments. Every believer who truly is a follower of Christ has to make and fulfill those commitments on a daily basis. And it's worth looking at our lives to say, am I doing that? Is that me? Does that describe me as a true follower of Jesus Christ? But now we're going to move forward because today we're going to look at what I consider to be or actually the, all the principles that I'm pulling out today. And I'll add, I'm adding to some of them. But, but the, the bulk of what you are hearing are principles that come from Dr. Avery Willis. And, and, and in that Master Life curriculum, he helped us to examine what he called the the disciplines of, of discipleship. 
And there are six of them. We'll look at three today. And I want you to just kind of follow along and, and examine yourself. All along the way, I want you to ask yourself, does this describe me? Does, does this represent the commitments of my life? Am I engaging in this kind of discipline, if you will? So as you turn in your Bibles to John chapter 15, we'll begin reading there at verse 1. One of the first disciplines that, that, that the true disciple engages in is to spend time with the master. The little pen that you see me wear uh, every Sunday, I guess. It's, it's a unique kind of a cross pen because it's the master life pen. And if you look carefully in the, inside of that white cross, at the very center is a red dot. Represent the blood of Christ, but more importantly, it represents the fact that as a follower of Christ, Jesus is at the center of my life. He is the master of my life. And let me tell you something. You can't be a genuine follower of Christ. You can't be an effective disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ if you don't spend time with Him. What relationship is, is, is worth anything when people don't even bother spending time together? Communicating, sharing, growing together. That could be a, a, a husband-wife relationship. It could be a parent-child relationship or good friends. So how can we expect to be true followers of Christ and represent Him to the world if we're not disciplining ourselves to spend time with Him? Look what Jesus says as He talks about this close relationship that we have with Him. In this familiar chapter, in chapter 15 of John's Gospel, He says in verse 1, I am the true vine, and my Father is a vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. In other words, He prunes it. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Talking to his disciples. Look what he says in verse 4. Abide in me. In other words, remain in me. Live in me. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it, bears, unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. He says, Jesus says, I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. He says, if no one, if anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered and they gather them and throw them into the fire. They are burned. A disciple is a follower. Simply a follower. And in Jesus' day, let me tell you something. Jesus didn't have the corner market on disciples. He only had the corner market on Christian disciples. In fact, if you go back into the Gospel of Mark, in the Gospel of Mark and look at chapter 2, in one verse you'll see a description of that that will help you to understand that. In Mark's Gospel, chapter 2 and verse 18, listen to what it says. And the disciples of John... And of the Pharisees were fasting. And they came and said to him, Why do the disciples of John and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? So you understand, even in the context of Jesus' day, there were many disciples. There were disciples of most of the popular rabbis. There were disciples of, of John the Baptist. And of course, Jesus had his followers as well. So a disciple simply is somebody who is committed to following. He's a committed follower of a teacher who seeks to, to embrace the teachings of that, that teacher and to pro, uh, propagate those teachings and, and, and share that with others. So when we talk about spending time with the Master, Jesus understood that for His disciples, it was very important that they be with Him. And it's very important that you and I 
be with him. Of course, we know when we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior and ask him to forgive us of our sins and the Spirit of God comes to abide in us, ladies and gentlemen, he comes to abide in us. It's not just a visit. He comes to stay. He's always in the life of a believer. The problem is so many times we ignore his presence. We don't tap in on that. But the principle of presence is vital in discipleship. Again, as we look at chapter in the gospel of Mark, I'll just direct your attention over to Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3 and look in verse 14 with me. It says, then he, Jesus, appointed 12. Look now, look very closely. Why? That they might be with him. He didn't simply say, do you guys believe in me? Do you think I've got the right idea? Here, here's a certificate. It'll prove that you have, have, have heard me. Now you go on. You see, Jesus wanted to spend the remainder of his earthly days in the midst of those men, pouring himself into them, teaching them, demonstrating to them, letting them observe him in the good and, and the hard times as well. So Jesus, it says, he appointed 12 that they might be with him, that he might send them out to preach. So to be a disciple implies that it's very important that we exercise the principle of presence. Is, is Jesus in your life, first of all? Have you truly come to a faith decision where you've repented of your sins, turned your back on your sins, put your faith in Jesus Christ, made a commitment to follow him and to be obedient to his teachings? That's what it means to be a disciple because when you do, he comes to abide in you. Now the question is, are you dedicating time to be alone with him? The Christian disciple thrives in the life and the presence of the Lord. And let me say that again. The Christian discipleship thrives in the presence and the life of Christ. We, just like that branch that Jesus talked about in John 15, absolutely has to draw life from the vine. That, vine, that branch, once it's severed from the vine, can no more produce fruit. It cannot even live. Nor can the disciple of Jesus Christ. We have to be in his presence. We thrive on his presence. We draw from his life and remain in service to him, obeying his word. Christ's lordship is manifested. You say, well, how has that really worked out? I understand how Peter and John, James and the rest of the disciples were in his presence. They traveled with him. They camped out with him. They, they ate with him. Oh, I understand how they enjoyed his presence, but what about me? And I've already alluded to that. It's called the person of the Holy Spirit. The person of the Holy Spirit is our very lifeline. Christ's Lordship is manifested in the fullness of His Holy Spirit in us. That is the supernatural, transforming miracle of Christian conversion. Not so much just, now listen carefully, not just so much living your life for Christ, I know a lot of times we use that expression. It sounds noble. It sounds like something that ought to generate, you know, some excitement. I'm living my life for Christ. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus wants more than that. He doesn't want you just to live your life for him. Let me tell you what he demands. He demands that you allow him by faith, practicing the principle of presence, to live his life in you. And that's the power of this Christian Life that we live. That's how we spend time with the Master. Paul said in Colossians chapter 1 verse 27. He says Christ in you. It is the hope 
of glory. In John chapter 14, verse 23, the Lord Jesus says, he says, he was talking to a gentleman and he says, answered him and said, if whoever, whoever loves me will keep my commandments and whoever loves me will be loved by my, by my father. And speaking of God the Father and God the Son, he says, and not only that, we will come and we will make our home with him. Did you see that? If you love me, he says, my Father will love you and we will come and we will abide. We will make our home in you. That's what it means to be in the presence of the Lord. Paul got it. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, you know this popular passage where Paul says, for me, to live is Christ. To die is gain. My life is Christ. And that's the life of the disciple, not just the life of a, an apostle. Paul was not just speaking as an apostle. He was speaking as a disciple. Let me ask you, is that your life? As you look at your life, as other people look at your life, do they see Christ? Is he the priority of your life? Paul said in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, he says, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life I live now in the, uh, in the flesh, he says, I live by the faith of the Son of God. So let me just stop for a second. Are you practicing the presence of Christ in your life? Can you see evidence every day that you want to take time and spend with the Master? Not only Him living in you, but are you carving out time to be in His presence? Which brings me to the next point in the same idea, spending time with the Master. Christ must be number one. He must be the number one priority in your life and in my life. Now that's a tough call because there are a lot of things pulling at us from the time we're children you know we got activities pulling us we got friends pulling us we got school pulling us then as teenagers it becomes even more complex because we got friendships and social activities as adults you know we got education we got careers oh listen friends families even church there are many things that are pulling at us and competing for that priority position but is Jesus Christ the priority of your life I shared this last week. I'll go back and revisit it in just a second because I want you to see in Luke's Gospel, chapter 14, in Luke's Gospel, chapter 14, verse 25, it's so interesting, and I included 25 because I wanted you to see. Jesus is moving about. He's preaching. He's teaching. And it says, And great multitudes went with Him. Great multitudes. Myriads of people. Fascinated by His miracles. Charmed by His powerful preaching and teaching. Oh, the multitudes were coming. And you know, you, if you were going by the philosophy of the seeker-friendly churches today that are big on numbers, you would think, oh my goodness, if I'm getting multitudes, I want more. And I want to keep the multitudes. But isn't it interesting that Jesus turned and looked at the multitudes and then instead of saying, saying now next Sunday, we're going to have coffee and donuts and we're going to have the uh, uh, bounce house and we're going to have the zoo animals and, and we're going to have a country gospels group here and, 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 and y'all tell your friends and we're going to pack this, out, this place out three or four times. Because after all, it's about the numbers. If that were the case, Jesus would have turned right around to the multitudes and said similar, something similar to that. But listen to what he says. In Luke's Gospel, chapter 14, in verse 26, he says, If anyone comes to me and hates not his father and his mother, his wife and his children, and his brothers and his sisters, and his own life also, 
whoever won't take up his cross and follow me, he says, you're not even worthy. Oh boy, that, that'll build a crowd, won't it? That'll make the multitude say, whoa, I like this guy. <laughs> I'm ready to sacrifice. <laughs> I'm ready to put him before my family, before my friends. Oh no. Jesus wasn't interested in numbers. Jesus was interested in souls. Committed souls to follow him. And to do that, to be a disciple, you can't have priorities scattered all over the place. He makes no bones about it. He's got to come before your family. He's got to come before your friends. He's got to come before your job. He's got to come before your sports activities. Anything else has to come after Christ. No one, no thing, no activity dare compete for the preeminence of Christ. And I ask you, who or what? Who or what is more important in your life today than the Son of God, Jesus Christ? Obedience to His commands is essential for those who love Him. Because, you know, following Christ is not just about having a gooey feeling and says, Oh, I love you, Jesus. And having these wonderful emotional sensations or whatever. Let me tell you something. The Lord said in Luke 6, 46. He says, why do you say to me, Lord, Lord, and do not do the things I say to do? You can claim Jesus as your Savior. You can claim to be a Christian. And you can talk about how wonderful it is to know that you're going to go to heaven. But ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you something. If you examine your life and you examine the Word of God. And you find yourself routinely disobeying the Word of God. Let me tell you something. You don't love the Lord. You may speak it with your lips, but your life is saying, I don't love Him. I love me. I love things. I love my friends. Obedience is the key to true discipleship. It's at the heart of a true disciple. So the first discipline is spend time with the Master. Be in His Word. And we're going to talk about that. Just do you have a time set aside where you meet with him? <laughs> My doctor's office, I believe, is probably like your doctor's office. You know, they, they not only make you an appointment, but they'll send you about 20 emails to remind you, send something in the mail. And then, ladies and gentlemen, if you don't show up, you're going to pay. And they take their time very seriously. And I guarantee you, I protect that time. If I know I got a doctor's appointment, I, you know, it would take something you know, catastrophic for me not to be there. I'm going to show up, even if I'm sick. I guess that's kind of a pun. <laughs> but isn't it amazing that something as important as meeting and taking time and spending time in the presence of the Son of God is way down on so-called Christians' priority list? Mm. Spend time with the Master. Every day. You know, when you have an appointment, whether you're meeting with a professional, your, your accountant, or your lawyer, or your doctor, or you have an appointment to meet with an important friend or whatever, you nail down the time, then you, you nail down the place, don't you? You know where you're going. You know when you need to be there. You try to get there a little bit early. Where do you meet with the Lord? Daily. What time do you meet with the Lord? Now I realize not everybody is gifted to be morning people. I am. I'm just natured that way. I, I function better early in the morning. I like that time of the day. It's quiet. I like to get alone with God, get my devotional material, my Bible, and spend time just, you know, praying, reading the Word, memorizing Scripture, just pouring my heart out to God, reading, listening to God. 
he and I get connected early in the morning. Now my sweet bride, bless her heart, you know, she's from Buffalo area up in New York and then, you know, you have to pray. She's different. She's geared differently. She'll tell you right now, don't get me up. In fact, don't even talk to me before I have my coffee. And I understand that. That's kept our marriage together, just understanding that. But, but you know what? Blesses my heart. When I come home, come, come home, I get ready to go to bed, you know, and I'm tired. And I, I, I just hit the pillow and I'm out. But I look and as I come into bed, there she is. She's sitting up with her iPad, her devotion material, whatever. She, her time with the Lord is at, at the close of the day. She likes that time. She can relax and focus her attention on the... And that's okay. What I'm saying is you don't have to get up early in the morning, but, but have a time. If it's early in the morning, if it's at lunchtime, if it's before you turn in, just have a time. Have a place. It could be at the table. It could be in your office. It could be out on the back porch on the swing. It could be in the bathroom. I wouldn't suggest that. But find a place. Find a time and get alone with the Lord because spending time with the Master is an absolute discipline for the disciple. But we need to move along because I want you to see that His disciples live in obedience to his word. The word of God is absolutely essential to you as a disciple. To obey his commands, we must know them. And Philippians chapter 2, verse 13 says, It is God who works in us both to show us what to do and to help us do it. So you don't have to wonder. I wonder what God's will is. I wonder what the Lord wants me to do. Listen. Christ calls us to fellowship with Him daily in His Word. How familiar are you with the Bible? Now, I don't mean you have to know every book and every chapter and every verse, but I'm just saying, in general, do you know where to find God and principles in the Word of God? How important is your Bible to you? Is it the most unused book in your house? Or is it something that's just almost a part of you? I don't imply in any way that we should worship God's Word, but I think we do need to make it very special in our lives. And in doing so, love God's Word. Listen, there's a, no better example in all the Bible of, of, a, of a follower of, of, of God, a, a, a faithful servant of the Lord, than David when it comes to loving God's Word. Go back to Psalm 119, that wonderful and the longest chapter in the Bible. In Psalm 119, and no, we're not going to read through the whole thing. I want to take you to verse 89. Man, you're talking about a love letter about the Word of God. David loved the Word of God. And he didn't even have the New Testament. He would have had a conniption fit if he had all the Gospels and the, red, the letters of the Apostles. My goodness! But what he had, he loved. He cherished it. How do we know? Because he said so. In Psalm 119, verse 89, he says, Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You established the earth and it abides. They continue this day according to your ordinance for all are your servants unless your law, look at the synonyms he uses for the word of God. Ordinance, law, and precepts. He says, unless your law has been, had been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. I will never forget your precepts. 
For by them you have given me life. I am yours. Save me. For I have sought your precepts. The wicked wait to, to, to destroy me. But I will consider your testimonies. I have seen the consummation of all your perfection. But your commandment is exceedingly, exceedingly broad. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. You, through your commandments, make me wiser than my enemies. For they are ever with me I have more understanding than all my teachers for my testimonies for your testimonies are my meditation I understand more than the ancients because I keep your precepts drop down to verse 105 he says your word is a lamp into my feet and a light to my path I have sworn and confirmed that I will keep your righteous judgments hey is there any doubt you say oh yeah that's David you know pampered king and all of that let me remind you he was a shepherd he killed bears and lions and protecting his father's sheep. Listen, David was no, no she-man. He was no wimp. Let me tell you something. David was a man's man. He's the one that brought down the nine and a half foot tall Goliath. Let me tell you something. He was a man that led armies to conquer thousands in the name of, of Jehovah. And yet this hardened soldier... There's a man who had a heart that was absolutely tender for the Word of God. He loved the Word of God. What about you? It was important to Joshua when he was leading the children of Israel into the promised land. You recall, God came to him and says, this book of the law, talking about the Word of God, he says, this book of the law shall not depart from your lips, but you will meditate upon it both day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. And then Joshua... You will cause your way to prosper. Then, Josh, Joshua, you will have success. Let me tell you something. If it was important enough for David, if it was important enough for Joshua, it certainly ought to be important enough for Charlie Martin. Spending time with the Master and living in obedience to God's Word. We should study His Word. We should meditate upon His Word. And when you sit before God with your Bible open, ladies and gentlemen, read it. Let it speak to you. God's Holy Spirit will illuminate your soul. He will open up your mind to the truths of God's Word. Meditate upon it. Dare to memorize it. I know for those in my generation, you know, it's a little more difficult. I just want to remember what I remember. Much less remembering new stuff. But anyway, memorize the Word of God. How many times... I could tell you time and time again when I've been on call at the hospital or encountered some emergency out there with church members or whatever the case may be, even my own personal emergencies, times when I didn't have a hard copy of the Bible with me, that passages of Scripture would come to me. Speak to my heart. Encourage me. Direct me. Guide me. Meditate upon God's Word. Dare to, to memorize some of the important Scriptures that, that are pertinent to your life because it will help somebody else as well. So his disciples live in the obedience to his word. And this requires allowing God's word to guide us. If you have your Bible still open to Psalm 119, I'll take you back to verse 9 very quickly. Psalm 119 verse 9 because this, the word of God is practical. It's meant to guide us through life. But you've got to know it. You've got you to be with it, in it and, and, and absorb in it. In Psalm 119, look at verse 9. So, Psalm 119, verse 9. How can a young man cleanse his way? And I would say, how can an old man keep his way straight going long? How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. 
With my whole heart I have sought you. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. You see what David is telling us there? God's word is important to keep us on track. Now when you go over to the New Testament now, we'll look at John chapter 8. Interesting chapter. Interesting chapter in the life and the ministry of Jesus. In John in chapter 8. You, you know this. This passage, uh, this chapter, the, ha the happenings of this chapter, pretty for, you're pretty familiar with it because it starts off with a, with, with a very interesting test that the Pharisees put Jesus up against. They brought a woman caught in adultery. And they know that the law said that, you know, the penalty of adultery was to stone a person. And so they're testing Jesus and said, hey, we caught her, caught her in the act. <laughs> What's he going to do? Let's see how he gets out of this one. Of course, you remember the story how Jesus... Turned it on them. He started drawing in the sand. Didn't answer them directly. Some have speculated that what Jesus was writing in the sand were all the personal sins of all those hypocritical Pharisees that had brought this adulterous woman. And one by one, they dropped their stone and left. So, so Jesus was just virtually dismantling as he did all through chapter 8. They were coming up with everything. They, when the test failed, then they come back in verse 13 and said, yeah, yeah, but your witness is not true. You don't have anybody to verify. Jesus basically said, wait a minute, I'm the Son of God, and the Father is my witness. Do I need any more verification? I rest my case. <laughs> so, so he's virtually just dismantling every argument. Finally, till it gets down to the point of verse 25, they asked the, 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 the question, too bad their hearts weren't in it. When they couldn't get a handle on him, when they couldn't pin him down, with their false accusations in verse 25, they finally threw up their hands in frustration and said, Who are you? Oh, if they'd only desired to truly know who he was. Because Jesus told them later, he says, I'll tell you one thing. He says, you don't know me. And because you don't know me, and you don't obey my teachings, he says, I'll leave this world, but you'll never follow me. Where I'm going, he says, you won't be able to come. Do you understand? Jesus is basically saying to this hypocritical, hardened, heart-hardened crowd of legalists. He was saying to this bunch of self-righteous religious leaders, you won't see heaven. He went on to say, I know who I am. My Father in heaven knows who I am. But he says, you know what? You don't know my father. He called them children of the devil. You go ahead and read that later in verse 8. He says, you don't, you, you're acting just like your father. You know who your father is? Your father is the devil. The father of lies. But I want you to look at verse 31. In the midst of that, in the midst of that, in chapter 8, verse 31, I want you to see what Jesus says. Then Jesus said to those, oh, oh, let me back up, because in verse 30 it says, as he spoke these words, he sees Jesus is dismantling the arguments and the accusations of the Pharisees. There's a whole crowd that's watching. They're listening. Ha! What they meant to be evil for Jesus, God worked for glory. Because in verse 30 it says, and as he spoke those words, many believed in him. The Spirit of God was working in the hearts of people who were just listening and 
what he was saying rang true. And the fact that he claimed to be the Son of God, the giver of life. And to that group of Jews who put their faith in him, look what he says there in verse 31. Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Free from what? Free from sin's penalty. He helped them to see that when you are lost and unsaved and you don't know God through Jesus Christ, you are a slave of sin. And Jesus says the way to regain your freedom is through abiding in the Word of God. The Word of Christ. What about you? Do you abide in God's Word? Do you camp out in God's Word? Does God's Word live in you, in your soul, in your heart? Is it the light unto your path? Is it? Obeying God's Word results not only in spiritual freedom, but obeying God's Word results in intimacy with Him. And that John's Gospel, chapter 15, that we were looking at earlier, if you look at verse 10, look what Jesus says. He says, if you keep my commandments, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. How important is it that we spend time obeying the Word of God. Jesus says, it's your way of receiving and experiencing my love. He says, you will abide in my love. It'll be around you. You will immerse yourself in the love of God when you are reading and meditating and hearing and, and, uh, and enjoying the Word of God. So, the disciplines of a disciple spend quality time with the master. Spend time with the master. Live in obedience to his word. But the next discipline, and we'll wrap up. His disciples regularly pray in faith. Regularly pray in faith. How's your prayer life? Come on now, please tell me it's more than now lay me down to sleep. <laughs> I pray the Lord my soul to keep. Please. Tell me it's more than thank God for the food. Let's eat. Because you understand prayer is communication with God. It's not only speaking to the Lord, it's also hearing from God. I go back to human relationships. What kind of a marriage, what kind of a friendship would it be if spouses or friends never talked to each other? Now I realize I have to put that in context. Because <laughs> a lot of you text and you don't like verbal conversations and that's all right that's okay but if your preacher calls you please don't text him man call me back i like to hear your voice i like to hear the voice of this but but but, but the fact is god not only wants to hear from us but he's got so much to say to us and prayer is that wonderful medium in which we do that in john chapter 15 in verse 7, Jesus says, If you abide in me, remember the, the vine? If you abide in me and my words abide in you. He says, you will ask what you will and it will be done for you. That's how you get your prayers answered. 
You've got to know the will of God. How do you know the will of God? You've got to know the Word of God. So that when you are praying and you're asking God to work, you know what to ask for because you know the things that are in accordance with His will. And He says, when you pray in my Word, ask what you will to be done unto you. And as a disciple of Jesus Christ, again, it's so important that we set aside time where we're not rushed, where we can spend a few minutes with the Lord. It doesn't have to be an hour. It doesn't have to be a half an hour. But quality time that you can dedicate to the Lord and pray. Offering prayers is consistent with God's will. You remember in Matthew chapter 6 when Jesus was teaching his disciples, he said, teach us to pray, and he gave them the model prayer. And in that model prayer, Jesus told them exactly what they need to pray. How to pray. We pray because God's Word reveals His will, as I indicated there. And you can pray confidently when you're in the Word of God. You know the will of God. It says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 14, you know, John says, if, he says, this is the confidence we have in Him. That if we ask anything according to His will, we know He hears us. And if we know He hears us, we know we have the petition that we desire. You want to have confidence in your prayer? Then be in the Word of God. Know the will of God. Pray according to the will of God. And there you go. And the Spirit of God guides us and helps us in our praying. There's sometimes that I'm not sure how to really pray. I may have an understanding of the will of God according to the Word, but you know what? The Holy Spirit is there to help you to pray. That's what Paul said in Romans chapter 8 verse 26. He says the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. When we don't know what to pray, the Spirit, he says, intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. So offering prayers that are consistent with God's will is important for the disciple who's regularly engaged in praying by faith, but also thoughtfully incorporate various elements of prayer. Going back to the model prayer, Jesus gave us many of the elements. How to praise God. He, he taught us how to bring petitions before the Lord. He taught us how to confess before the Lord. And that's important. I think about Psalm 107 verse 8. Where he says, Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for His goodness and for His wonderful works to the children of men. Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is simply thanking God for the things that He's done for you, for those you love, for your church, for your community, for the nation. But praise, praising God in your prayers is acknowledging who He is. And there's some wonderful psalms all through the Scriptures. Psalm 69 uh, is a wonderful psalm of, of praise, acknowledging the great attributes of God. But then also, as we have demonstrated even right here in our worship service, it's important not just to come before God to praise Him and offer thanksgiving to Him, but we better be ready to confess, don't we? We better be ready to confess because sin interrupts. Go back and read Psalm 66, 18, where he says, If you regard iniquity in my heart, you won't hear me. Don't dare try to pray to God when you know there's unrepentant sin in your heart. Unless your prayer is, God, you know what's going on, and I confess it, and I'm repentant of it. Then you're ready. But Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24. The psalmist says, Search me, O God. And know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any wickedness. And I appreciate you praying that way in the confession prayer, Pastor Mark. And, and leading us and praying that way. Search me, O God. Don't assume that everything is okay with you and God until you've sat down with God and said, Here I am, Lord. 
you probably know some things that you need to bring to my attention. So confession is a wonderful part. And then intercession. Intercession is praying for the needs of others. And we've done that in our prayer supplication. Pray for the church family. Pray for the community. Pray for the nation. Pray for the world. Pray for lost souls. Pray for a persecuted church. But also, in addition to intercession, where we pray for the needs of others. And you know, in James chapter 5, verse 16, he says, Confess your trespasses one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. One of the greatest privileges for a Christian is to be able to pray for somebody else. And I try my best. If it's somebody I encounter, even if they're a stranger, and they find out I'm a Christian, you know, which I hope they do. And they'll say, you know, I'm going through this hard time. I'm struggling. There's somebody I love dearly. is dearly, you know, up against the wall. And would you just pray for them? You know, I, I, I used to say, sure, sure. I try to remember to include that in my prayers. But, you know, <laughs> I'll ask them, do you mind if we pray right now? I prayed on elevators. I prayed in the middle of shopping centers. I prayed in parking lots. I prayed in restaurants. You know, I mean, look, it's okay. If somebody says, I got a need, would you pray for me? You know, they said, well, well, no, as a matter of fact, I got to go. You said, fine, fine. Give me that name again. And then you better pray for him. But it's a privilege to pray for others, to intercede for others. And people love knowing that, that you are praying for them. But then there's, there's petition where we get to pray for ourselves. You know, I put that at the last. There are times when it's perfectly okay. It's not being selfish. It's not being self-centered. One of the most beautiful illustrations, and I won't read it, but if you go back into 1 Samuel chapter 1, at the very beginning of that wonderful historical book of the Old Testament, it starts out focusing upon a woman by the name of Hannah. She was married to a man called Elkanah, and Elkanah had another wife. That wasn't legal. I mean, it wasn't right, but anyway. And, and, and so the other woman, Penina or something like that, she was having children left and right. I mean, like a rabbit. And poor Hannah, she was just as bare as she could be. No children. Which is a shameful thing in that culture. She desperately wanted a child. Oh, goodness, she so yearned for a child. They went to the tabernacles they routinely would do. And she had just about enough. And Penina, you know, gouging and said, Hey, hi, had any kids lately? And all that kind of stuff. And feeling the shame and all. And her heart was absolutely broken. I love to go back and read that portion where she came into the tabernacle. Only one in there was the priest Eli sitting in the back. And she poured her heart out to God. I mean, it says she was so just in agony, just crying out to God, pouring her heart out, even though she wasn't doing it audibly, her lips were moving, her hands were, she was just so, so humble and in need and desperate. And she was saying, oh God, you know how much I want a child. And if you give me a baby boy, I promise I'll dedicate him to you. Just a few verses later, well, the priest first thought she was drunk. So make sure you qualify when you do that kind of intense prayer and you're sober. No, no. I'm just saying, she was so caught up in a prayer. He thought she was drunk, but then when she explained to him what she was praying, he was so impressed. God impressed upon him, said, tell her, she's going to have a baby. And then just a few verses after that, says she and her husband got together, and there you go. The next thing you know, here comes Samuel. But, but, but you see, she had a great, desperate, let me tell you something. 
the God we worship, the Father we call upon in heaven. He's mighty. He's powerful. He's all-knowing. He's just. He's holy. But let me tell you something. He is our Father. Show me any father of any quality who doesn't love their children and will go out of his way to provide for his children's needs. It's just one example. Your Heavenly Father loves to hear from you. He knows you better than you know yourself. And after you've covered these other bases in prayer and you come to yourself, sure, ask Him anything that fits His will according to His Word. Hey, listen, it's a wonderful privilege to serve as a disciple of Jesus Christ. Don't miss out on the great, great opportunities and the great benefits, challenges. But listen, the rewards are heavenly. So spend time with the Master. Make that your commitment this week. And also, be in His Word. Live in His Word. Obey His Word. And pray regularly by faith, trusting in the Lord. Are you a disciple? Who are you following? Ultimately, I hope it's Jesus Christ. Because I guarantee you, you're on the right path. And he's got much to do in your life to, to bring wonderful experiences your way, absolute fulfillment, eternal joy, but most of all, it glorifies God. Be a di disciplined disciple.